Engaging presentations on the most urgent problem of our day and what you can do about it. Now, the End Abortion Podcast by Priests for Life. Tuesday, the 17th of January, and I come to you today for our daily scripture reflection. Uh, thanks for joining me. I was just outside and uh, praying with our team that is uh, going to Washington right now, driving to Washington with a U-Haul filled with pro-life materials for the next few days of activity in Washington. I'll be flying there tomorrow morning, and uh, we will have uh, our events uh, uh, of the week protest at Planned Parenthood on Thursday, together with a number of other speaking engagements during the rest of the day and into the evening, the National Prayer Service on Friday that I'll be leading and speaking at in Constitution Hall, the March for Life itself, the Silent No More campaign gathering on our 20th anniversary of that campaign uh, in front of the steps of the Supreme Court, those that have had abortions, sharing their stories, then flying to San Francisco, doing the Walk for Life on Saturday with also speaking and the, and the gathering of Silent No More over there and a protest at Planned Parenthood out there. Then flying back to D.C. that night for a prayer service in front of the Supreme Court on Sunday the 22nd. All these events are about to happen and I know that I'll see some of you there and the rest of you will be united in spirit and in prayer and in these online updates. I want to go to the scriptures for today and uh, reflect on them and tie them into, of course, the events of these days. First, let's pray. Father, send us your spirit. Send us the same spirit that inspired the word we are about to read. That he who inspired these words through the sacred writers may open our hearts to the understanding of them and of the hope and strength that they impart to our lives and to our activities. Unite us all in an understanding and a commitment to live this word. We pray through Christ our Lord. Amen. So our first reading today is from the letter to the Hebrews. Brothers and sisters, God is not unjust so as to overlook your work and the love you have demonstrated for His holy name by having served and continuing to serve the holy ones. We earnestly desire each of you to demonstrate the same eagerness for the fulfillment of hope until the end, so that you may not become sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience are inheriting the promises. When God made the promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, He swore by himself and said, I will indeed bless you and multiply you. And so after patient waiting, Abraham obtained the promise. Now men swear by someone greater than themselves. For them, an oath serves as a guarantee and puts an end to all argument. So when God wanted to give the heirs of his promise an even clearer demonstration of the immutability of his purpose, He intervened with an oath, so that by two immutable things, in which it was impossible for God to lie, we who have taken refuge might be strongly encouraged to hold fast to the hope 
that lies before us. This we have as an anchor of the soul, sure and firm, which reaches into the interior behind the veil, where Jesus has entered on our behalf as forerunner, becoming high priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. Friends, I just want to focus on this first reading today because there's so much to it. You know, the letter to the Hebrews is a fascinating letter about the role of Jesus in offering himself as a fulfillment of all the Old Testament sacrifices, his role as high priest there in his death, in resurrection, and also forever at the right hand of the Father. And today, this passage is taken from the sixth chapter of Hebrews, focuses on hope. You know, there are many Christian symbols, including symbols of the Christian virtues. And you know what this symbol is for hope? It's the anchor, right? I'm sure you've seen uh, diagrams and, and images in Christian artwork. The anchor symbolizes hope. And it's one of the three theological virtues, faith, hope, and love, right? The use of the symbol of the anchor as hope comes from this passage that we just read. The author of the Hebrews says, This we have as an anchor of the soul, sure and firm. What is hope? You know, it's one of the encyclicals that Pope Benedict, who recently passed away, wrote, was called Spe Salvi, By Hope We Are Saved. He wrote about hope, Pope Benedict did. He wrote about love as well. Hope means that we hold fast now with certainty to a gift that will be fully ours in the future. In other words, we don't fully have it now. We don't fully see it now. But the goal towards which we are moving, the purpose for which we are living, the salvation for which we are striving, and which we want to receive from God, that we hold on to now as if we already had it because we're so certain that we're going to have it. And in fact, we do possess it already in the sense that we have the beginnings of it, and we have the assurance of it. So in that sense, we're possessing now what we will possess in the future. This is how hope works. And what is this possession we will have? Salvation itself, union with God, eternal life, victory over all evil, the victory of truth over falsehood, of grace over sin, of life over death. That all the evils that we deal with now, starting with our own sins, will not, cannot, have the last word. That the despair, the emptiness, the separation, the finality that death brings about is in fact not final. This is hope. That this is not just some kind of wishful thinking, but that hope rather as an anchor of the soul is based in an historical reality. That's why what it says here, notice in the same sentence, without even there being a period, 
It says, this we have as an anchor of the soul, sure and firm, which reaches into the interior behind the veil where Jesus has entered. Jesus has entered. It's referring to a fact of history, a fact of salvation history, that Jesus sacrificed himself for us. So the reality of hope is rooted historically in the intervention that God has already made on our behalf and, as the letter says earlier in this passage, the promise and the oath. We'll get to that in a, in a second. But Jesus entered the veil on our behalf, it says. In the temple where the sacrifices of the Old Testament, which foreshadowed the sacrifice of Christ, the offering of the blood of animals, there was the Holy of Holies, the most sacred part of the temple. Nobody could go in there. It was separated from the rest of the area of the temple by a veil. Now the high priest went in there only once a year. The high priest offering atonement for the sins of the people, asking for the grace and the blessing and the forgiveness of God. That high priest was a foreshadowing of a prophecy of Jesus Christ. The letter of the Hebrews says he is the eternal high priest, the bridge between God and humanity, as we were reflecting on yesterday. He didn't enter into a sanctuary made by human hands. And he didn't enter with the blood of animals. He entered into the sanctuary of heaven itself and brought his own blood. So the high priest now sheds his own blood and enters into the holy of holies, which is heaven, our eternal home. And that is why when you read the Passion account, in the Gospels you see, on Good Friday when Jesus dies, the veil in the temple was torn open. Not from bottom to top as if a human being were there ripping it, but from top to bottom. God was ripping it. Opened up now is salvation for you based on an historical fact. God revealed himself in Christ. He shed his blood. It was a real passion. It was a real death. It was a real resurrection. They ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. Now we have hope. God is faithful to his promises. We rejoice that we know we have this redemption and this salvation. Now, why do we know we have it and what difference does it make? We know we have it because God promises and not only does he promise, but he swears by himself. So the letter of the Hebrews goes back to Abraham. Abraham is our father in faith. Abraham was promised by God. In fact, his name was changed to from exalted father, Abram, to father of many, Abraham. And God said, you're going to be, you're going to have descendants like the stars in the, in the sky, sand on the seashore. But you have to trust me. God told him at age 75, leave your land. Most people by age 75, they're pretty settled as to where they want to be. God uprooted him at age 75. And then at age 99, told him, you're going to have a son. And he's going to father many nations. 
And through those descendants, the kingdom and the salvation of God will come. What kind of faith, what kind of trust did God require of Abraham? Uprooting him like that and then telling him in his old age that he was going to be the father of many. God not only promised it, but then he swore an oath by himself. So that's why the letter to the Hebrews says here, God wanted to give us a promise. He intervened with an oath so that by two immutable things we might have hope. What are the two immutable things? He promised, first of all, and then he swore an oath. God can't lie. This is the foundation of our hope. But here's the main point. What difference does it make? People who have hope live differently. Friends, people who have hope live differently from those who do not. Look at Abraham again. If he didn't have hope, if he didn't realize that the God who was promising and swearing an oath was trustworthy, and therefore in his heart and soul and mind, grab on to what he was promising as if he already had it, he wouldn't have had the strength to uproot himself leave a familiar land, and go, as God said, to a land that I will show you. In other words, God said, just, just follow me, trust me. How many times has that happened to us, right? Circumstances happen that uproot our lives. Or we might see an opportunity and we say, let me pursue that. Let me pursue that career. Let me pursue that degree. Let me pursue that opportunity to serve. Let me go into this religious community. Let me do, do, do one or another thing that seems to be something God is calling us to, but it requires so much change, so much sacrifice, or even just the sacrifice it takes to be faithful to our faith. I'm not going to... Well, look at how many people have lost their jobs because they've been faithful to their conscience and following God. This requires hope. Those who have hope live differently. Because they know that they will possess something that has not yet fully come into their possession. But they're so sure of it that they can uproot themselves. They can deal with sacrifice. They can deal with loss. They can deal with persecution. Abraham can trust that he's going to be the father of many nations. And God, remember, gave him a covenant. He said, come and... and, and, and let me show you the land where you're going to live. You're going to have a land. You're going to have descendants. You're going to have the blessings of salvation. But you have to live according to the covenant. It's not the same way with, with, uh, with us. Well, the people of Abraham lived according to the covenant for centuries, trusting and awaiting the coming of the Messiah, saluting it from afar, as the letter of the Hebrews tells us about those who preceded us in faith. And we, we live the new covenant. It's hard. There are tall demands made on us by the gospel. Love and forgiveness of enemies and service of the poor and service of the unborn. Look at the people who are going to be coming in these next days, and I'll be with you. In Washington, who've been coming for 50 years. Look at the people who are coming this weekend to the Walk for Life in San Francisco. I'll be with you too. Coming for years sacrificing, 
their reputation, their time, their energy, their convenience, advocating, going against the tide, moving in an uphill battle, working and praying and voting and lobbying and defending and intervening and rescuing and going in front of the abortion facilities and hoping and hoping and hoping for the saving of these babies and for an end to the holocaust of abortion, we possess it as a promise and an oath of God that life will be victorious over death. So those who have hope live differently. If we didn't have hope, the reality of this, let's just use abortion as the example, the reality of this holocaust would crush us in despair. But we who have hope live differently. Paul says grieve, but not like those who have no hope. Grieve that there is death, that we lose people, that we lose these babies. But don't grieve like those who have no hope, who think that that's the end of the story. Grieve like those who do have hope. Lord, we grieve now because we lost those we love, but we know what is the victory. Resurrection and life and redemption and salvation. Live differently because of the hope that you have. Keep going, keep sacrificing, keep serving. Don't let the human calculation of how difficult the task is be the only calculation that you make. Look at the cost, count the cost. Jesus says, don't go building a tower unless you know you have the, the means to do it. Don't go marching into battle unless you know you have the troops that can win. But keep doing it in the sure hope of salvation. Let us pray. Father, thank you for hope, the anchor of the soul. Thank you for your promises to Abraham and to us. Thank you for the promise that life will be victorious over death. Thank you for the promise that grace will be victorious over sin. Thank you for the promise that truth will destroy all the falsehoods that are all around us and amplified by the media Thank you, Lord God, that salvation is ours thanks to the historical reality of the sacrifice of Christ and His grace working in us today. May we live by hope. May we know that we are saved by hope. And in that hope, Lord, answer the prayers of all those who are watching right now, prayers for health, for wisdom and guidance, for consolation and sorrow, for the blessings of success, whatever our prayer intentions may be. And for those in our families who are far from the faith, that you would bring them back. Answer these prayers. Show us your constant love. In Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. And now let's pray as he taught us. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Praying for you, friends. Uh, now, in the next few days, I'll be traveling. We'll be busy with the events in Washington. So 
We will uh, resume our normal scripture reflections next week. However, we will be having many online broadcasts, and I'll be coming to you live and taped from these events in Washington. So stay tuned to our channels, of course. And let's have an inspiring week recommitting ourselves to the defense of life and living in the sure hope of victory. God bless you all. This has been the End Abortion Podcast. To learn more, to help end abortion, and to connect with us on social media, visit endabortion.net.